these videos will be a little bit different than what you're used to. Usually we have scriptures with those and PowerPoint, but we won't, will not be doing that today. Over these past few weeks, which now seem like a lifetime, this church has gone through a deep period of loss. There's been a loss of relationships, a loss of innocence, a loss of trust, of safety, a loss of reputation, for some, maybe even a loss of belief. There are many who are hurting, sad, angry, and confused. There's so many types of loss represented in this room or those who are watching. And we are still feeling this sorrow intensely and deeply, at least I am. We continue to pray for the child and the family who is going through this difficult situation. And we are praying for the Coghill family, who we love very much. And there are, very, there are many of us still in agony, at least still grieving. And I stand before you, weary and worn, as many of you are. And each type of loss, no matter what it is, is usually accompanied by seven stages of grief. And just see, I'm just going to give those to you. See if you can identify where you are in these current stages. The first is shock and denial. The next is pain and guilt. The next is anger and bargaining. And then depression. And then there's this kind of an upward swing, this upward turn, which moves you to reconstruction and working through one's grief. And then finally, acceptance and hope. I will let you know the journey of grief will not be the same for every person. And there's no correct time limit, nor does everyone conform to the exact order of these stages. In other words, there's no one size fits all for the pain in our hearts. Each of us will go through loss differently. And even though I know this, we know this, we need to allow each other to process their feelings in their way and in their own time. Everyone's feelings are valid and should not be diminished. And I know you know this, but let me remind you. Your, your elders and ministers, we're not professional counselors. We're not trained. But as your ministers and shepherds, we are tasked with binding up the wounded, guiding spiritually and walking with those in their emotions. We are here to listen. And we're here to pray with you. And we will do our best to always point you to the one who can comfort us in all of our distress, to God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you feel like you need professional care, Please do not hesitate to let us know so we can get you the help you need. Four weeks ago, I had written a sermon for our series on the Holy Spirit. And I believe its message is as relevant now as it would have been then, maybe even more so. I believe the hand of God was in this. In my prayer, that this lesson will bring hope and healing to our grieving process, where, where everyone's loss may be in their life, whatever that may be. So, let's dig in. Five days before the Passover 
and Jesus' arrest. The disciples of Jesus were filled with exuberance as they entered Jerusalem. Many of the Jews had already made the journey to purify themselves before partaking of the Passover meal. And of course, as, as Jesus entered, the crowd took palm leaves and went out to meet him. And they were just crying. I mean, they were yelling and screaming, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. <laughs> what a sight. I mean, one can just imagine the disciples on a spiritual high, the glory, the excitement. I mean, all their dreams were coming true. A new kingdom was about to be established. Jesus was going to be king. How could they not be excited? But as the apostles entered the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, the atmosphere was unexpected. Jesus had taken off his outer garment and began to wash their feet. And then Jesus spoke of leaving his disciples like, like he was planning on going somewhere without them. I mean, <laughs> this was unexpected. And, even, and as the evening unfolded, this was far from the celebratory meal the apostles had hoped. Eleven times during the meal, and I could have missed a few, but Jesus speaks of leaving. Jesus looked at this ragtag group of disciples and tells them without hesitation, I am leaving. You will see me no longer. Okay, let me just give you all those passages if you don't mind. The first one is John 14, verses 2 and 4. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. All right, chapter 14, verse 12. I am going to the Father. Chapter 14, verse 19. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more. Verse 18, the same chapter. I will not leave you as orphans. Drop down to verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away. Chapter 16, verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. Verse 10 of that same chapter. I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Verse 16. Oh, a little while, and you will see me no longer. Verse 28. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. You know, in the apostles' minds, the events which had occurred days before was the beginning of a new kingdom. It was the beginning of a new Israel where the Messiah, the anointed one, would be crowned king. The tone of that meal, though, was shocking, it was unexpected. The disciples were not prepared for the news of Jesus' departure, that he was leaving. They were blindsided. And let me ask you a question. What do the words, I am leaving, I am leaving, conjure up in your mind? Now, sure, for some, these words bring ecstatic joy when your 28-year-old, who has been living with you since birth, finally utters those words, Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. I'm leaving. I could see how those words would bring joy. Or maybe when guests have overstayed their welcome, I can see how those words, I am leaving, could bring 
joy. Yet for most, the words I am leaving are fraught with hesitancy, uncertainty, confusion, trouble, distrust, anxiety, ambiguity, or worry. Some of you have been there, a son or a daughter, a mother or father, a trusted friend, a move, a death, a betrayal, an illness, a fight. It's never easy when one leaves, especially those we love. And just like the apostles, our hearts are troubled because we wonder why. Why? What happened? How, how could this be? We long for them to be with us, to be near, for the separation to have never occurred. And the disciples' reaction is often our reaction. Verse 6 of chapter 16. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's verse 1 and verse 27 of chapter 14. But we are afraid, right? There is uncertainty in being blindsided by life. There is discouragement, and many times there's just hopelessness. We are afraid of the future. We're afraid of the unknown. We too, like the apostles, are looking for hope. But Jesus doesn't tell them life is going to get better. In fact, he tells them the exact opposite. Life is going to get hard. It's going to be even more difficult. Listen to how Jesus frames this this new life of theirs. This is chapter 15, verse 20. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. Chapter 17, verse 4. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. In other words, there are dark days ahead for the apostles. There are dark days ahead, and when one is blindsided by bad news, I mean, we often have no footing on which to stand. You know, right now we live in a world where bad news seems to be our constant companion, right? A pandemic, hurricanes, fires, fighting within, etc., etc., just bad news. And beside the outside influences, which are disturbing, the struggles each of us face in our own lives, in our church family, are just as horrific, are they not? They often bring anxiety and uncertainty. And our cry, at least, if not vocally, at least within our soul, is help. Where are you, God, in the midst of the storm? Where are you? I need you now. Life is not what I expected. It's not what I signed up for. And the question most of us ask in the recesses of our heart for which we would never make public is, can God truly be trusted? Can God be trusted with my life? How could this be, God? How could this be? And how often do we give up on God when our plans are interrupted, when life does not go as predicted, when faced with unpleasantness? 
or unexpected news. How many of us have given up on God at one time or another? And I know you understand this. I, I do, right? We understand because many of us have been there before. You know, there's a psalm which has given me hope in these recent weeks of uncertainty. It's Psalm 112, verses 7 through 8. And I'm going to begin with verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. So what if? What if this was a mantra for our lives? I mean, really. When bad news comes, and it will come to every one of us, how many of us can say with certainty, my heart will be firm and steady, trusting in the Lord? But James, you may say, man, we need more than that. We need greater assurance than just a pithy memory verse to memorize. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Jesus, Jesus knew this about us. He knew this about his apostles as well. They needed more than just words of assurance. They needed more than hope from his words. They needed a helper. Jesus' response to the uncertainty of life, the worry, the anxiety, the hurt, the anger, the pain the apostles were facing, his answer, I'm sending you a helper. John 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 26 of that same chapter. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is sending a Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Remember the Spirit of Christ, the source of the Holy inside of us. The word for Helper in the Greek is paraclete. And I wish there was a word in our language that best described that Greek word, paraclete. There's really not. Listen to this. In the message, the word is translated friend. In the complete Jewish Bible, this friend is, it, the paraclete is called the counselor. In the NIV, he's described as the advocate. And in the King James Version, he's described as a comforter. You see, there's not one English word which captures the essence of the paraclete. But here's my, here's my best definition I have gravitated toward. The Holy Spirit is a helping presence available to all who love Jesus. The helper, the paraclete, is sent from the Father to walk with believers along the way. And this helper is not Jesus' light. The paraclete will be the hands and face and voice of Jesus, his actual presence by which he will continue to commune with his disciples. Listen to the last words, the last words of Jesus to his disciples in that upper room. These are his last words that he says before he goes out. John 17, verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is abiding in us. Jesus in us. Again, the source within us is the power of the holy, the paraclete, the helper. 
verse chapter 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, when we are blindsided, we have a helper to be with us forever. A helper who is Jesus himself. You know, we live in a historically historical anomaly when it comes to suffering. We're blessed with creature comforts to which our ancestors did not possess clean water, sanitary food, medical technology, rapid emergency response, social welfare. I could go on and on. And since we are blessed and protected from so many dangers, we therefore assume we're going to be spared of suffering and pain. We're going to be spared from any loss that may, be, that may occur. Our problem as believers at least I believe our problem as believers is we often have a faulty theology. See, we think if I worship and serve God faithfully, he will shield me from serious suffering. I will not get cancer. I will not suffer the loss of a parent, a spouse, or a child. I will not undergo persecution or suffering. I will not face adversity. God will take care of me. Let me share an observation with you. Our lack of preparedness when blindsided, it often reveals our shallow faith in theology. I mean, is that not true? I mean, how many of us have seen this happen in others' lives? I mean, how many of us have experienced this in our own lives? But what if? What if we expected to be shaken spiritually in our lifetime? What if we expected to be distressed emotionally, mentally, physically along life's journey? Would we prepare for the eventual outcomes? Would we prepare to be blindsided, knowing knowing we have a helper who is with us during these trials to walk with us and to teach us the spirit of truth? who is our comforter, our advocate, our friend, who goes to the Father even on our behalf, interceding for us, is the Spirit of Christ. You know, Peter, who was shaken spiritually on that dreadful night of Jesus' arrest, was he was also very acquainted with suffering. These, these are the words he pens in his first epistle. This is 1 Peter 5, verses 9 through 10. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You know, and you probably read those words, and you exclaim, after you suffered a little while? Are you kidding me? After you suffered a little while, Peter? I mean, what's Peter speaking about here? 
I mean, really, what's he speaking about? Does he not know that one's period of suffering never seems like a little while? I mean, isn't that right? If you've gone through suffering, it's not a little while. Does anyone feel that one's suffering is just that, a little while? You know, when one is going through suffering, no, listen, no matter one's type of suffering, it often seems to linger on and on. For some of you, days, months, years, and some of you, decades. Decades. But no matter our suffering, when we are in the middle of pain and distress, it never feels like a little while. Right? Peter knows this. See, Peter's speaking about having another perspective, an eternal perspective. When we compare our sufferings to the eternal glory in God's economy, it is just a little while. Listen, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, like Alma, how should we prepare for times such as these? What can we do now that will aid us through these tough times in our lives? And let me say this before I give you some avenues by which to prepare. It is actually foolhardy not to prepare spiritually. Did you get that? It is foolhardy not to prepare spiritually. When suffering comes, we are often unprepared and we are confused and perplexed. And because we are unprepared, we often rail against God or we're baffled and we're angry. And we lash out at Him as well as others. And this testing sometimes shatters someone's faith. I mean, I've seen it happen. And, and I hope it doesn't happen to anyone here, but it has happened. And some of you may have gone through or, or are going, going through a time such as this right now. But these times of testing can also strengthen one's faith. Isn't that what James writes about in James 1, verses 2 through 4? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, like the apostles in the upper room, we often feel out of control because we are unprepared. They were afraid. They, they were discombobulated. Jesus was leaving and speaking of how they were going to suffer and be persecuted, and they are afraid. Yes, they need a helper. We need a helper. And Jesus provides a helper to his children forever, a gift which is everlasting, a gift which is in us, a gift which is our paraclete, our helper, our friend, our comforter, our advocate. When we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, in the midst of uncertainty, I pray we are all prepared. 
But if not, let me give you three suggestions, which I'm going to borrow from a doctor named Adrian Warnock, who at this time is suffering with leukemia. And he is acquainted with the unexpected and with suffering. Here's his first suggestion. Prepare spiritually. All right, you may ask, well, how do I do that? Okay, here's my spiritual preparation question for which we can kind of wrestle with this morning. Are we pursuing God? Are you pursuing God? Are we seeking his spirit in our lives? Are we asking and begging God for the spirit to come upon us in power? Paul says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So what if what if we all pursued the power of the Holy Spirit? What if we earnestly sought the presence of God, the indwelling of Jesus in our lives? You, you know, church family, when it comes to preparing spiritually, Sunday should not be the only time for our worship and growth during the week. Right? I mean, preparing spiritually means pursuing God daily, feeding on His Word, speaking to Him in prayer, and glorifying His name in worship. The battle is won when we daily put on the armor of God and we prepare for the battle ahead. And if, and if help is what you need to prepare spiritually, let me begin with one of our shepherds who are godly spiritual men in whom the presence of God exists. And let them share with you tools that they use. They can lead you in a beautiful and helpful direction. All right, here's the second thing. Prepare theologically. So here's the next theological question I want us to grapple with. So how can one delight in God during a season of turmoil? Yeah, I know. How hard is this, right? I mean, how hard is it to delight in our Heavenly Father during a time of turmoil, distress, pain, suffering, loss, and anguish? Yeah, it's hard. Why? Because we want relief. We want answers. We want to understand. And it is these times we must trust. We must have faith. Hold on. And rely on the presence of God. And when I think of preparing theologically, I think of really digging deep. I mean, searching for understanding, seeking to know and understand God so I can delight in Him, His goodness, His faithfulness, His steadfast love toward His children. All right, listen to this verse regarding the help we receive from the paraclete, our helper. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 9-10. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And for most... Preparing for pain and suffering? Yeah, that's difficult. 
because we don't know where to turn. We don't know how to respond. We don't know if we can trust God during those dark days. If we, or if you find yourself unprepared, here's a couple of resources I would recommend. The book, Where's God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. And Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Listen, I believe these authors will give you a greater perspective and theological understanding of this topic than I could ever give. And Adrian's last advice, prepare responsibly. You know, the time to prepare is not during an illness or a crisis, but long before. Most of us, (laughs) me included, we don't expect bad things to happen to us. I mean, right? I mean, we don't expect to be diagnosed with disease. We don't expect to hear bad news ever. We don't expect to find ourselves in situations which are complicated and confusing. And digging deep and forming a foundation on bedrock is key, which means the foundation of our souls, the foundation of our lives must be formed on that which cannot be moved, who is the rock of Mount Zion. This is how we, we prepare responsibly. I mean, listen to the psalmist. This is Psalm 125 verses 1 through 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord, the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. I mean, is this not the picture we desire? Is this not the image which brings hope and assurance to our weary souls? The Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Lake Homeland family, our Heavenly Father is not surprised when we go through difficulty. He's not shocked when we face heartache and pain. Daniel says God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever he pleases. And I want you to remember this phrase, which now I was just reminded of it a little over a week ago. God is not just with us. He is ahead of us. Let me say it again. God is not just with us. He is ahead of us. God is not surprised by our circumstances. He's not stunned when we encounter difficulty, whatever that may be in our lives or in the life of this church. We have a Heavenly Father who is ahead of us and who is in control. This is good news. It's great news. And because we know God is ahead of us, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart and we don't lose hope. God knows. God cares. God lives in us and through us by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And God is ahead of us and not surprised when we encounter trials of various kinds. So, so let's, let's go back to the upper room where those apostles were frightened and scared. Was Jesus ahead of them? Was Jesus ahead of them? Did he know what was coming? Was he shocked he was going to be going to the cross? 
Jesus, our Savior, gave those fearful disciples a promise. A promise. And do you remember that promise that he told them? Do you remember what he said to those apostles as well as to all of those who love him? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you alone. I will send the comforter, the paraclete, to be with you forever. Inside of us is the source and power of the holy. We possess a gift of the oneness of God here in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. And as we leave today, I want us to leave with the words of Jesus upon our lips. Words that will aid us in times we are blindsided by life. And let let me remind you of something you already know as well. Our shepherds love you. They care for each of you deeply. They are faithful and wonderful servants of God whom I love very much. And I know you do as well. Right now, I would like us to get ready to quote some words from Jesus. And if, and if you would, just if you're watching this from home, just, just whisper these words as if you are repeating these words to yourself, reminding yourself of Christ's eternal promise. And these are from John 14, verses 1 through 3. So please join me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I love you, Lake Homer. May God richly bless you. May your heart, soul, and mind.